0: Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Great. Um, Yes, uh, and thank you too to all those who served on the water station, served uh, in the showground. We're very, very grateful to all the different ways in which we were able to contribute to the day. It was a fantastic day. Um, I love Sophie's story about healing. I've got one quick one myself before I get going. Uh, I was in a pastoral meeting this week uh, with our senior pastoral team uh, and the weekend before I'd been cutting the hedge. Um, and uh, I'd managed to hurt my back cut in the hedge, which is very embarrassing. But I was sort of wobbling around in the pastoral meeting, really in pain, and we'd been praying for various people. And then I said, well, thanks, guys, as I was leaving, you didn't pray for me. And um, in a slightly grumpy way, and Helen said, oh, okay, okay. Dear God, I pray that Terry's back will get better in Jesus' name. Amen. That was uh, perhaps a slightly uh, exaggerated version of how But it was was pretty well that, and bang, immediately my back was better. Just like that, right? Right, okay, now, that was a poor prayer. And yet, God in his goodness. So I just want to encourage us to keep going in terms of prayer. Does that make sense? So as Dave said, today we do start this five-week series on the workplace, and we have three guest speakers over the next three weeks coming to speak on this subject, people who have much more experience uh, than me of what it means to be in a workplace as a Christian and the various challenges that are faced. Um, And so you might start by saying, well, what credibility, Terry, have you got to stand at the front? and speak on this subject since I've been working in the church for years and uh, I got pretty well prophetically rebuked by Derek Green for saying I haven't got a proper job in the (laughs) prayer meeting so I thought of another way of framing it. I I think I'm exceptional in that my Christian faith and my working life are very interconnected and another way of thinking about it is that I'm paid to be good (laughs) right whereas you lot are good for nothing okay (laughs) How to get the crowd on your side in one easy step. So, have I got anything useful to say on this subject? Well, I guess you'll know by the end. But um, what I would say is that I did spend the first 16 years of my working life in a variety of offices, some of which were quite hostile to the gospel, quite hostile to Christians. I found myself, I remember, in situations where I had to stand up for issues of integrity and not conform to the pattern of the world in the workplace context. So I guess I'm not entirely without experience in regard to being a Christian in that sort of working environment. Uh, and on an account of that, of course, is that was a number of years ago. And so for that reason, we're inviting others to come and speak who've got much more recent experience of that. But I would say more important than that, my job today is actually to look at what the Bible says foundationally about working life, about the issue of work. Uh, And I think some people have a very cynical and negative view of their working lives. Uh, And this is illustrated very well in the following words. We've talked about philosophers, here's the words of another one. Working nine to five, what a way to make a living barely getting by it's all taking and no giving they just use your mind and they never give you credit it's enough to drive you crazy if you let it nine to five for service and devotion you would think that i would deserve a big promotion want to move ahead but the boss won't seem to let me i swear sometimes that man is out to get me nine to five they've got you where they want you it's a better life you dream about it don't you It's a rich man's game, no matter what they call it. And you spend your life putting money in his wallet. So there we are. Um, So, cheerful stuff, isn't it? I decided not to sing it because I didn't think I could do it justice compared to the classic tune by our our favourite singer, Dolly Parton. Um, But this would sometimes seem to be people's attitude to work. You know, living for the pay at the end of the month. Living for the holidays, the, the daily grinds, working hard, playing hard, taking sickies, getting away with as little work as you can, all of those sorts of issues. And this overwhelming feeling of, I don't know, resentment about work, about our employer, clearly illustrated in this song, can be some people's perspective. On the other hand, some people love their work. Some people love their work too much, and we'll come back to that. Some people see their work as a calling. Some people see their work as a prison. And so, here are a couple of quotes relating to the workplace which illustrate some of the challenges in regard to work. So, for example, here's one. Stay an extra hour in the office. No one cares. Arrive at five past nine, everyone goes crazy. Here's another one. I work well with others when they leave me alone. Anyone ever felt a little bit like that in the workplace? Here's here's an interesting one. When it comes to work, eat a live toad every morning. Because nothing worse can happen to you for the rest of the day. It's a very bizarre one, isn't it? And finally, I always give 100% at work. 12% 12% on Monday, 23% on Tuesday, 40% on Wednesday, 20% on Thursday, and 5% on Friday. Okay. So, with all of these different thoughts of work in mind, let's actually look at what the Bible says about this really important subject. Let's start at the beginning, which is a very good place to start. <laughs> Nearly burst into song again, but um, resisted it. Here's a question. Who was the first person to do work on the earth? And the answer is found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then, the last verse of Genesis chapter 1, that's the first verse of Genesis 1, the last verse of Genesis 1, verse 31 God saw all that he had made and it was very good. I want to suggest to you that here we see the origin of work on this planet depicted in the book of Genesis. And we discover that God is the primary worker busy with the creation of the world. And people have different theological views on this, but the Bible says that God worked for six days and then rested on the seventh. And so this passage reveals that God was the first person to do work on the earth. I mention this because legitimate work reflects the activity of God. Because God is inherently good, work is actually inherently good. And this is our starting point. In in contrast to some of the negative undertones that we find in our culture about work, this is something, work is something that God models and something we can do as a reflection of God. In Psalm 19 it says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech night after night. They display knowledge. Here we see how God reveals himself to the world by his work. Through this natural revelation, God's existence is made known to every single person right across the world. Again, I mention this because this illustrates that work reveals something about the person who's doing the work. It expresses and exposes underlying character and motivation and skills and abilities and personality traits. As we observe the work of God, we're able to draw conclusions about Him. Psalm 8 makes reference to God being majestic. In verse 3, the psalmist says this, When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the sun and moon which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of in, the son of man that you care for him? The psalmist concludes in verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And so as we look at the work of God, we learn things about Him from the work that He's done. The greatest work achieved in the history of humanity can also be seen in that way. Jesus' death on the cross and His resurrection demonstrate His mercy, His compassion and His love as He paid the price for the sin of the world, as He paid the penalty for sin, And his work also demonstrates his authority and his power over all things, even death itself as he rises from the grave. And so our first challenge today is this. The work we do says something about us as people, just as the work God does says something about him as a person. And particularly the way in which we conduct ourselves in our workplace, our attitude to work, the pride that we take in our work. These are the sorts of things that I believe challenge us to be more like God as we go about our daily tasks. And let me just emphasize, and I'll do this a couple of times, work is not just simply about paid work. It's about voluntary work. It's about work at home. It's about work in all sorts of different contexts. It's about schoolwork and college work and uni work. So I'm just wanting to frame that in a much wider way than we might First imagine. so let 's now go back to the book of Genesis. We'll see in chapter one from verse twenty six God creates the human race in his image. He gives them a mandate to work uh, to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the whole earth. and then Genesis two eight and Genesis two fifteen we see God planting a garden and then putting Adam and Eve in the garden to cultivate it, to maintain it. So Genesis starts with god 's work. it starts with God doing his work, it then moves to a place where man and women are created in order that they can be in the image of God, in the likeness of God, and then very quickly they're put to work. Let's just pause here for a moment and just look at the different things that God says to them about their workplace. Genesis 1.23 discusses Adam and Eve's role of subduing and ruling over the earth. Within this there's the uh, exercising of control and discipline which is important in a workplace environment. To rule over means to administer, to take responsibility for, to make decisions about. In Genesis 2.15 they're commanded to work in the garden and take care of it so they are to Cultivate the garden to foster growth. They're called to care for it, to uh, to preserve it from from failure or from decline. And so there are many things in this mandate which I believe apply to all jobs, no matter what those jobs are. There's responsibility, a desire for growth, a desire for good quality. God's call to Adam and Eve still exists for us. He calls us into the workplace and into our working environments in order that we are people who take responsibility for the work we do, whatever that work might be. We are called to do things well, to not allow things to go into decline, but to look at ways in which things can be done excellently. And so right here at the beginning of the Bible, we find a very clear foundation in regard to the theology of work, And it's very clear then also from Genesis 3 uh, from verse 17 that the fall of man, the point at which sin enters the world, generates a change in the nature of work. In response to the sin of the human race, God uh, brings a number of judgments and a number of curses upon the earth and one of them is to do with cursing the ground. The work becomes difficult. It would then involve the sweat of our brow to use the phrase in in Genesis 3. The result wouldn't always be positive. Although we will eat of the plants of the field, it says, the field will also produce thorns and thistles. And so hard work and effort will not always be rewarded in the way that we would have imagined or expected. And also as sin enters the world, the workplace becomes affected by sin, by things such as, Greed and pride and anger and jealousy and selfishness. You imagine a working environment where none of those things, none of those sinful things exist. You imagine working in an environment like that, where there's no uh, greed or pride or anger or selfishness or jealousy. Another result of the fall, of course, can be an obsession with work. Uh, and often people these days, they say that they have to work longer hours than ever. Longer hours than their predecessors. I, I'm not sure that's true. Not sure. Those of you who were at my dad's funeral will recall me talking about his first job when he left school at 14, uh, when he worked at Minsterley Creamery. He cycled to work from the Cypress hills and he worked a 12-hour day, six days a week and eight hours on a Sunday. 80 hours a week, he got £2 a week for it. Now, I, did, I expressed at the funeral, I expressed again, £2 then was probably worth a little bit more than £2 now. But I often think, how must have, my, how must have Dad felt facing that cycle ride all the way up the hill from Minsterley to the Stiperstones Stones after his 80-hour week? So do we work harder these days? Well, maybe... Maybe we believe we do because we value our leisure time more than we ever did before. Someone once said, and you may have heard this, that Christians can be tempted to worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. Worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. If we become too obsessed with work, we can actually look back and think to ourselves, oh, wait a minute, I've missed out on some stuff. I've missed out on some of the important things in life. King Solomon reflected on this in the book of Ecclesiastes. not the most cheerful book in the world. But Solomon had been incredibly successful in the eyes of the world. He was very rich. He'd worked hard at building his kingdom. And yet, as an old man, he looks back in Ecclesiastes' Uh, Chapter 2 and verse 11. And he, he says this. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Thanks for cheering us up, Solomon. But we must be on our guard against worshipping our work giving it more time and more attention than it deserves. More time and more attention sometimes than anything else. Now, there are all sorts of different threads and elements that I'm very quickly uh, bringing to you to bring some foundations to this subject. Uh, I hope that's helpful. The fact, of obviously, that, that work originates in creation and is intrinsically good. The fact that the fall has affected our response to work and to work itself. The fact, the fact that our culture has all sorts of views about work from resentment to obsession and everything in, in between. And so the question has to be, well, how do we respond to this? How do we respond well in whatever work we're involved in? Whether it be as retired people still working voluntarily, as people working in the home, as people working in business, as people working as employees, how do we honor God as we do our work? And I'm going to conclude today by looking briefly at Colossians three twenty-two four to one. In other words, I've got the introductions done. Um no, I'm joking. We we are well into the talk. Fear not. Um lunch will not be burnt. Colossians three twenty-two to four one. I'm just going to read this, make one or two comments as we conclude. Slaves obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eyes are on you and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be will be repaid for his wrong and there is no favouritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master. In heaven. So, here we are in Colossians. Uh, uh, Paul is speaking and writing to Christian slaves and to Christian masters. Just a couple of um, uh, brief mentions and comments about the issue of slavery. Paul, uh, people who've read this particular section of Paul's letter have sometimes expressed, I don't know, uncertainty, embarrassment, even disappointment that Paul seems to be content with the status quo, that he doesn't seem to be writing to, to, to call for some social change when it comes to the issue of slavery. Uh, in fact, in the first instance, as you look at this passage, it seems that rather, remo- rather than removing the yoke of slavery, Paul seems to be increasing its burden when he says, you know, he's, he's calling uh, slaves to obey their earthly masters in everything. And so what? is Paul actually saying on the issue of slavery, that's a whole new subject, a whole new talk. We haven't got time to go into that in detail. just make one or two comments. The first thing to say is that this little section in Paul's letter to the Colossians is not the only statement he makes about the issue of slavery. That's really, really important. In fact, it's really important uh, to read the letter that Paul writes to Philemon, uh, which gains a much better perspective on his view Of slaves and masters. And that letter actually gives an insight into the impact of the gospel upon the relationship between slaves and masters and how that would radically affect Roman society back then. Uh, But we haven't got time for that now. But even in this passage, we can see the poor ones, Christian slaves, to understand actually they're now not serving humans at all. There isn't a slave who's serving a human if you're a Christian. See from verse 23, Paul says he's serving God, not men. So in effect, what they're doing, everything they're now doing, is for God. They've been rescued from slavery. They've been rescued from slavery from their masters in order that they become a full-time servant of Christ. So that's actually what Paul is encouraging them into, without at that point changing the issue of slavery. And yet, There's no way that in any point or in any place the Bible condones slavery and, of course, throughout the centuries we've seen Christians at the very centre of campaigns to see slavery abolished and they still are today. Sadly, they still need to be. So, as we return from that brief tangent relating to the theology regarding slavery... Let's just look at how there might be some application for us in this passage. The first thing in this passage which seems to really be important to me in regard to the workplace is the issue of working hard not only when the boss is watching us. Look out, the boss is coming. Look busy. Ever been in that sort of context? Scripture argues against the idea that external appearances matter more than anything else. It always argues against that. Working hard in front of the boss can keep us in his good books. And I believe that this is a bit of a universal practice in our world, in our culture today. In fact, I would go further than that and say it's a fine art. That actually the appearance of obedience and commitment is there, but the reality is quite different. The Gospel is wholeheartedly opposed to that view. So as we go about our work, we are set free. This is really important. We are set free from the idea that value and dignity come out of what people think of us, including our bosses. We have a different assurance about our identity and our worth and our dignity. And that means that whatever job we do, whether it in the world's eyes seems to be very significant or in the world's eyes seems to be very menial, whatever job we do, the reality is that as rescued children of God, we are people who are fit to serve the God of glory. We can do our jobs knowing that we are working for him and he is delighted to receive our service. That truth can and should have an impact upon any work we do. With this in mind, verse 24 goes on to say that the reward is beyond our wages or promotion or esteem that we might receive from doing a particular job. That was great news for the first century slaves, by the way, because they had no reward, they had no pay, they had no esteem, they had no honour. However, if you're a 21st century executive, the challenge to gain honour and esteem and lots of cash from our jobs is very different, significantly more tempting. And so we need to have in mind that the greatest reward is our inheritance in heaven. And actually, we will also be rewarded in heaven. It makes it clear in the Bible, we will be rewarded in heaven for the way we approach our lives in a godly way, including our work in a godly way. And finally, a quick word to bosses out there. In the context of the culture of the time, this was possibly the most shocking thing that Paul said on the last last bit of this passage. A slave at that time would have no ability to seek justice of any type and no one would be seeking justice on their behalf and yet Paul speaks to Christian masters and instructs them be fair be just with your slaves the idea of treating slaves fairly and justly and giving them some level of rights was so radical that if the masters did that, they were in danger of being ostracised socially from, from their peers. They it would have they would have significant financial implications if they were going to actually demonstrate what Paul is talking about. It was so counter-cultural. And in the same way, I suggest to you, the bosses acting with integrity and fairness and justice, that, that whole issue, that, that culture can be challenged in our ruthless and cutthroat culture. So, as I set the scene for the next few weeks, can I encourage you that work was God's idea. It is regarded that that it's something which enables us to imitate the character and the nature of God. The way we do our work, our attitude to work, tells others something about who we are, and what we're like and i believe the new testament just in this little passage but in other places as well the new testament provides us with helpful instructions as to how to conduct ourselves as we work both as volunteers working in the home working as uh, in charities working in uh, as employees working as managers working as employers working as students and as scholars in various school environments. So that's it. I'm setting the scene. Let's conclude by praying, shall we? Spend a moment praying. Father God, I ask that you would send each of us into our workplaces, whether that be in the college or the school or the university or the home or as a volunteer, as an employee or as a business person. I I pray that you would send us as your people Demonstrating your power, your love, your grace, and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you.